everyone. I hope you're doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia here by myself. Uh, Shawana's probably out with the girls once again, handling daddy daddy business. But I am here for episode 152 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. As always, I want to thank you for taking the time to check out this show. Thank you for supporting MMA Ratings and listening in to our content and reading our content that you can also find on MMARatings.net. You can listen to our content over on YouTube at MMA Ratings on uh, YouTube, and you can check us out on social media at MMA Ratings Net across Instagram and Twitter, and you can catch our podcast across most podcast um, platforms such as Spotify, Anchor, uh, and others. Uh, as always, again, thank you for taking the time to check us out. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and share what you find as well so we can get more people listening to what we have to say. As always, this podcast is on Tuesdays where we're talking mixed martial arts and combat sports. And then we also have the professional wrestling podcast called Let's Chat, Let's Talk Wrestling that is on mostly Thursdays, sometimes Fridays, and sometimes Sundays, depending on if there's any big events going on. But with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into today's show where we I am recapping UFC 247 doing a high-level look at UFC Rio Rancho and also talking about some combat sports news that has come out over the week. So before I do all of that, I just want to go ahead and say, put it out there, I have a cold that I've been dealing with the last, I guess, four or five days. So if you hear me sneeze, I apologize. I'll try to mute it, try to edit it out. But if you hear me sneeze, I apologize in advance. Um, If you hear me sniffle, again, I apologize in advance, and I'll do the best I can to catch them and edit them out of the final show. But, you know, I really have very little control over that shit, so we're just going to go ahead and go from there. First and foremost, we have UFC 247, which was this past weekend on Saturday from, I think it was the Honda Center, Center T-Mobile, one of the two, I don't, I can't remember where it was, but it was a I will say it had a good main event. It had some good fights on this card. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. A lot of people were harping on how bad this card was, especially comparing it to UFC 246. But it wasn't nearly as bad as we all thought it was going to be. And it was a pretty good showcase. But in the main event, we had John Jones eking out a decision over Dominic Reyes. It was 40, uh, what was it, two score, 48, 47, 48, 47, and 49-49. 46 for the champion and a lot of people are pretty upset with this card um, not only are they upset with those scorecards but they were upset with a couple of different judging issues that were going on throughout the day we're going to talk about that but with starting with the main event i have to go back and watch it i was working at fight metric on saturday night and the position i was in was a different view of the fight where it was a little bit more difficult to tell who was winning but in talking to the people that were scoring the fight, they actually had it for Reyes at the end of the day. They understood how Jones got the nod, but majority of them had it for Dominique and uh, Dominic. And I thought that that was pretty consistent with what you saw across social media and what you saw across uh, most outlets. MMADecisions.com, if you don't know who they are, go check them out. They are a site that captures all of the judging um, results from decision victories across uh, mixed martial arts. I think they normally cover UFC. I'm not sure if they capture Bellator as well, but they're interesting to look at because they list out the judges and what their scorecards were. They give you a little bit of information about the judges, but they also look at usually about 15 to 20 media members and ask them who they had winning 
the fight and they list out those media members uh selection right beside what the judges gave and on this case of course you know the the three judges the three official judges had it for jones but seven media members scored it for jones and 15 14 or 15 scored it for red so that tells you pretty much how a lot of people saw this fight and this is why it's always important to go back and watch fights because it helps you get out of the moment and take a second look at something and kind of get a better understanding and and see things a bit differently something else i always want always like doing after you know when i watch a fight a second time through is watch it without the commentary because the commentary usually can skew how you see a fight uh it's easy i mean because we've seen the commentators on the sideline uh basically speaking differently of fights of how they were actually scored or talking differently about positions or about particular fighters and, and i'm not going to put any controversy or theories out there or anything like that but watching rewatching the fight without the commentary goes a long way so yes i will definitely go back and watch this fight I'm not sure when maybe this week if i have some time but i want to look go back and see uh if my vision of what went down lines up with mostly what everyone else was saying but then you got to wonder what's next for jones and what's next for reyes i wrote about dominic reyes taking advantage of his rising stock i think even in defeat he definitely gained some fans he gained a fan out of me i want to see what's next for him but i think the way he was carrying himself heading into the fight week talking about um even though he had respect for jones that he's going to he, he has the game plan to beat him and he almost did uh, but he just wasn't able to keep it up for five rounds but it's interesting to see what will be next for him because he's in a position where he can quickly find himself back into a title fight, especially if one or two things happens. Let's say Jones moves up to heavyweight to go challenge Stipe Miocic or uh, do a super fight up there. I mean, I, I still think that that fight against Brock Lesnar isn't off the table, uh, but we'll see what happens there. But if he moves up to heavyweight and is challenging for the title there, I do believe that the UFC would uh, have him drop the light heavyweight title, and they could do one or two things. They could either have Jones drop the, the, the light heavyweight title and have an interim title fight if Thiago Santos isn't uh, healthy with recovering from the knee injury he suffered during that fight with John Jones, another guy who was on the cusp. He actually took a scorecard from Jones, so he was on the cusp of being the first man to like, legit defeat John Jones as well. But if UFC could book that fight between Reyes and Santos, or looking at a couple of other fights, you have Anthony Smith and Glover Teixeira who are fighting in April, I believe. And then you also have Corey Anderson and Jan Blachowicz who are Blachowicz, who are fighting this weekend. So you have some fights lined up where you can find a viable B-side to a potential fight with Reyes if Santos is unable to go sooner rather than later. But if Jones walks out and goes to the heavyweight division to kind of set himself up there, there's an opportunity to create a title fight at 205 with a legit guy in Reyes and, I mean, legit opponents in either Anthony Smith, Glover Teixeira, Jan Blahovics, or Corey Anderson. Whichever one of those guys were to face off against Reyes, whoever wins that needs to immediately call Jones back out because that sets up the fight of whether or not Jones comes back down to 205 to challenge for that title if he stays at heavyweight uh i i don't if it was me 
I would push Jones to go to heavyweight and take that fight there because I think that there's a lot of opportunity for him to get a big payday and basically establish his legacy. In my opinion, he's already widely considered the greatest of all time. If he's not number one for you, he's got to be number two, top three easily. He might only be behind GSP for me, but that's just because it's St. Pierre. But Jones is definitely sitting pretty on that list when it comes to the greatest fighters of all time. But moving up to heavyweight, securing that title will go a long way in cementing his position. So I am, my vote would be for him to move up to heavyweight and get some fights there, maybe win a title, maybe defend a title, maybe get a big payday there as well. But there's always going to be that opportunity for him to move back down and face that current champion. I mean, he's 32, he turns 33, I think, in July. But what we hear a lot about is he is not the same fighter he once was. He's been doing this since 2008 on a consistent basis. He's, he's fought at least one time a year uh, since then, since 2008. And I think he's had a total of about two and a half years off. But he still doesn't look the same. I mean, he doesn't look like that guy who was beating the brakes off of Shogun or beating the brakes off of um, Rampage or hanging Leoto Machida off the cage. He doesn't look like that guy anymore. He looks like a more calculated fighter, one who's taking less risk. He looks much smarter out there. But he's not he's not the dynamic um athlete anymore. I kinda I wanna kinda compare him to Vince Carter, where every now and then, you know, you see flashes of insanity. You may see him throw throwing out a dunk or something like that. But this isn't the same dude who was jumping over Croatians in the Olympics and stuff like that. This isn't the same guy who was hanging um, his hanging off of the top of the rim with his arm. So like this isn't that Vince Carter isn't walking through that door any 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 time soon. John Jones is a like lot a lot like that. Where at this point in his career, he's not doing all of that. He is still more productive than Vince Carter is in his. Um, in his state in the NBA, but he's still out there, still out there competing. Jones is still at the top of the division, still considered the greatest of all time. So we'll see how that plays out. So then I have to ask next is, has the light heavyweight division caught up to him? And I think that they have in a sense that if he kept fighting at 205, someone's going to catch him at some point in time. And I don't mean knock him out and finish him and get him out the cage. I mean, someone's going to catch up enough. And, and recognize what's working on the judges' scorecards just enough to get three out of five rounds. Reyes came close. Santos came close. Um, OSP, even though he lost to him, that's kind of when we started talking about it, he doesn't look quite the same. Same thing with Daniel Cormier. So at some point in time, someone's going to put enough of the story together to get that win. You have Israel Adesanya, who is talking about cleaning out the 185-pound division, which you know he's watching this chomping at the bit saying, hey, I could be the guy to defeat John Jones. And I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would uh, get excited about that. So I don't think they make that fight quite yet just because Adesanya still has work to do. He at least has Romero and, you know, he has Costa at some point in time, depending on how long it's going to take Costa to come back from that bicep injury I believe he had. But I think he at least has two title defenses at 185 before he really does think about or make concerted effort to move up to 205. And by that time, we don't know if Jones will be on his way out. Adesanya is talking about sometime in 2021 where we may see that happen, and he could get two fights in in 2020. 
again, it kind of depends on when um, Costa's ready to come back, but he could get two fights in in 2020 and be ready to challenge for that light heavyweight title in 2021. And knowing the consistency in which Jones fights, he may fight one more time this year and then be uh, sitting on the sideline waiting for a big payday, which may come at heavyweight or may come at 205 against Israel Adesanya. The opportunity is there. And it's going to be very intriguing to see what happens here, how this whole situation plays out, and who who is the guy who can finally defeat John Jones' Israel Adesanya? Is it a rematch with Dominic Reyes? Is it a rematch with Thiago Santos? Is it a rematch with Anthony Smith, Glover Teixeira? I mean, there's so many different options out there. Out of that group, I think Glover's probably the farthest off because he's older than Jones and he's more over the hill. But everyone else, man, you never know what these guys would be able to put together and, and if they'll be able to get a win over the um, current 205-pound champ. Then there is heavyweight, where I wonder if people watched this fight and got excited. And by people, I mean heavyweights. Francis Ngannou, um, Stipe Milchis, Daniel Cormier in general, uh, Curtis Blades. I mean, I don't think... I don't believe Jones would fight anyone other than a champion, which would either be um, Miochis or Cormier. I doubt that they're doing that trilogy fight. However it shakes out, I doubt Jones would do anything else other than go right for the right for the belt. And I wonder if watching him fight these last few times made them more intrigued in fighting Jones and made them think that they have a better shot at beating him. Uh, the there, there's been a lot of analysis about how John's fight. There's a lot of film out there on him, and we know, you know, he doesn't get hit heavily too much. Like Reyes was swarming him, especially earlier in the fight, but he wasn't rocking him. He he dropped him with that body shot, but it was more like a flukish type of drop because if you see, you know, he's going for. I think he was going to throw a teep or something like that when he gets hit and he gets knocked off his feet. But we never really have seen Jones rocked and hurt. So I wonder if the heavyweights will be able to do that. True, they'll have more power that they're throwing behind every shot. We know that. But the question is whether or not that power will be negated by Jones's speed. And is again, as always, the speed combined with his length. So I wonder if any of the heavyweights got excited watching him fight on Saturday, thinking that he is now more beatable than he was in the past. But that doesn't necessarily mean that will happen when those fights are eventually made. Me, personally, I do believe he's going to heavyweight, and I think that's the best opportunity for him to continue building his legacy and earn some of the biggest paintings that are available to him right now. So from there, I want to move to the co-main event, where we had Valentina Shevchenko defeating Caitlin Chukagian via TKO in the third round, and this fight went about as bad for Chukagian as everyone thought. She really didn't have anything to offer Shevchenko. Her style of point fighting just didn't mesh up well to Shevchenko, who was looking to hurt her with every shot. I mean, every shot she was throwing, she, it's almost as if she went in there with the intention of getting getting her out of the cage and getting her out of there as soon as possible. Everything she was throwing had bad intentions. Her takedowns looked powerful. Uh, she was moving right into position to pass. She eventually just took that crucifix. I'm not even, not even going to say she got to that position. She took that crucifix, uh, started raining down those um, strikes to finish the net. She gave her a nasty cut early in the fight. Chukagian does have a good, uh, a great cut, man, because they got that to stop. I thought that that fight was going to end up 
being stopped because of that eventually. But they got it to stop both times, and um, Valentina just went to work. And it really is must be dismaying to watch this division as you know a flyweight woman and wonder who's going to be the person the, the the challenger. A lot of people thought it was going to be Macy Barber because she had that uh, she has that tenacity. Um, Tatiana Suarez was the name as a potential strawweight moving up that could challenge her, but Tatiana Suarez may not be able to fight again because of her neck. I mean, you can't necessarily immediately think Weili Zhang is that individual because she's smaller than Ioana, and we saw what Shevchenko did to Ioana when they fought. So it's really hard to say if anyone at 115 or 125 is going to be able to fight Shevchenko. Um, There's still the conversations about her and Amanda Nunez. I am of the ilk, like, hey, Amanda has two wins over Shevchenko, and even though the UFC refuses to acknowledge it, they refuse to talk about it, I think it's still a valuable talking point, when, especially with elevating Nunez, because they already do a great job of elevating Shevchenko. They talk about her as if she's the women's GOAT, but they completely, they don't do that for Amanda Nunez. I think that they should continue to elevate Shevchenko, but whenever they talk about Nunez, they need to tell the truth that, hey, this lady has lost twice to the double champ um, Amanda Nunez. So that's really where we are with Shevchenko. What the UFC should do with her next? I mean, who... Let's see. I think Yohan Calderwood is next on the rankings. Let's see, let's see. Let me see. Real quick. So the top five in the women's strawweight division is Jessica I. We saw what Valentina Shevchenko did to her. Katlyn Chukagian, we saw what Valentina Shevchenko did to her. Number three is Yohan Calderwood. Four is Jennifer Maya. Five is Roxanne Modafari. Now, these rankings are stupid because basically what happened is Jessica I and Caitlin Chukagian just switched positions again. And I I mean, that's just dumb. But, but we know what you know, we know that what the rankings really are for. Um, I think Jennifer Maya is coming off of a loss. Let me see. I believe she's coming off of a loss. Yes, yeah, she lost to Caitlin Chukagian as well in November. So it's really, I mean, then you got Roxy Montefiore at number five. So as much as people love Roxy, you, you never want to see that happen. Um, Jennifer Maya, I don't know what she's going to go in there and do against her. I mean, her jujitsu is probably her biggest. Uh, let's see. Is she a, I'm assuming that she is a jujitsu practitioner because she is Brazilian, but I do not know what her grappling accolades are so there's that um yeah i really don't know what they do with her at this point in time i mean she lost to liz carmouche as well she's defeated roxanne modifari twice um so this this strawweight division isn't deep at all and i love how they talk about valentina because in my opinion I talked about this with my team on saturday valentina is spoken up in such a way that Clearly, the UFC is trying to get her over with the fans, but I wish they talked about Demetrius Johnson the same way, who was dominating his weight class in a probably a better fashion. He was finishing guys left and right as well, too, uh, but that's all I'm going to say about that. That's neither here nor there. There are probably sports and politics reasons behind that, but it is what it is. Um, Shevchenko is a 
great champion. She looks like she's going to dominate this weight class for a very, very, very long time. There really isn't anything. I don't see anyone in this top 15 that can be of a threat to her at all. I wouldn't be surprised if Laura Murphy got a shot before everyone else uh, and seeing how she won a, a controversial fight over Angela, and, and Andrea Lee, Andrea Lee at um, UFC 247. But looking at that division, looking at Strawweight, the only person that I could have thought of that would have been interesting would have been Tatiana Suarez because of her wrestling and her grappling. But again, her neck is in pretty bad shape and she may be forced to retire. She hasn't fought in two years, I think. Let me pull that up. Tatiana Suarez. She has not fought. She last fought in June of 2009. Uh, 2019, excuse me. I, I thought it was much further back than that. So, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But I think that Shevchenko is going to be sitting pretty on top of this division for a very, very long time. Uh, what else stood out from UFC 247? Lear Latifi and Derek Lewis. I thought that Derek Lewis lost that fight. Again, this is another one I'm going to have to go back and watch. But I was like, uh, I thought Latifi did enough to win. He And yes, he didn't do a lot on the ground, but he scored takedowns in uh, group position, which I think is important in those situations. And Lewis, I mean, yeah, he was more aggressive on the feet, but I think he had Latifi hurt once towards the end. I got to go back and look to see what the scorecards were for that. I don't know if it was a split decision or not, but... There's that. Then there was the Lauren Murphy, Andrea Lee fight. As I mentioned, the Murphy won a controversial decision there too, as well. So you know, there's kind of a lot to really um, unpack there as well. But that will lead me into thoughts about the judging. And yeah, man, Texas doesn't look look so good right now. There was a lot of complaints about the judging and some of the decisions that came down. Um, one judge in Particularly Joe Solis, I think that's how you say his last name. Luke Thomas was talking about how this guy is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt who has his own MMA gym and academy. And he was still, like in the Trevor, uh, Trevor Giles and James Krause fight, James Krause had Giles' back for almost three to four minutes to fight. And Solis still gave that round to Giles, which is the most ridiculous thing. Like, you have to, at that point, you have to wonder if he didn't know which fighter was which, but you can't do anything about it. Like after the fact, you can't do anything about it because these commissions, they govern themselves. So if you try to um, push back against the decision, that's why nobody's ever won one of those arguments. Um, they don't put the judges out there or the refs out there to talk about the situations. So they, they the commissioners rarely talk about what, what, what um, background information is going on and what's going on in, in behind the scenes. So no one's really going to know. The situation is what it is, and yeah, these guys, uh, there's there were three, four close fights, some questionable scorecards there, and no one's really going to kind of hear anything about them. We'll talk about it now. We'll talk about it probably for the next week or so. We'll talk about it maybe next time the UFC goes back to Texas, but there's, there's nothing's going to come from this, and nothing's really going to change. So that will bring me on to the second topic, and I wanted to hit UFC Rio Rancho, which is this Saturday. Um, it's UFC Fight Night 162. Uh, let me see if I said that right. UFC Fight Night 167, and it's a rematch between Corey Anderson and Jan Blachowicz. Who won the first one? Let's see, let's see, let's see. 
The first time they fought was back in 2015 at UFC 191, where Anderson won a unanimous decision. Since then, um, Anderson has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and three record. This is since their fight back in 2015. He's put together seven wins and three losses, while Jan has put together one, two, three, four, five, seven wins and also three losses as well. So both of these guys are, I guess, jockeying for an opportunity to fight for the title. They are sitting in the divisional rankings at position number five and six. Cormier probably will not be ranked too long because he is going to be bumped up to heavyweight. I mean, that's that's the way it should work, but, you know, we never really know how these rankings really work. Reyes is number one. Santos is number two. Anthony Smith is number three. Uh, Cormier is number four. Corey Anderson is number five. Jan Bogus is number six. In all honesty, there's no way a number one contender is coming out of this fight here. The winner would have to hit a Shuriken in the cage, and the opponent would have to catch on fire like he's Ken Masters or Ryu from Street Fighter in order for that to happen. There needs to be some ridiculous highlight reel type of shenanigans that go down, and they need to be create a buzz around them that makes everyone want to see them fight John Jones. Now, here's the thing. Anderson and Blahogas are not that person. In any sense, in any way, shape, or form, They're, they've never been that person. So they're fighting. They're fighting in what could be said can be considered a stay busy fight, but an important stay busy fight because taking a loss right now would knock them out the picture completely. They are in a slot where they could find themselves on a card with John Jones and something go crazy, and they get pulled up. In, into the main event, kind of like how I Quinta did when he fought for being the Michael Mayoff a couple years back. That's kind of in the position that they're in. And I don't know what, what would necessarily need to happen for them to move up. They would have to knock off Reyes, Santos, or, or Smith in some way, shape, or form. The question is, all those guys are currently accounted for. Reyes just fought, Santos is injured, Smith is fighting in April. So what do you really do? Do you sit around and wait, or do you stay busy like they're doing right now and hope that they can do enough and do it well and do it in a highlight real fashion to get to a title shot? Um, looking at this fight here, I think it may go – I'm not even really sure how it's going to go. This is probably Shawan's area to talk about. We know that Corey Anderson is like a, a, a grinder. He is um, – I mean, that's what he's been doing for – so long. I'm not. I don't, I don't really see how this fight is going to look any different. I think it might be a bad one across 25 minutes. We'll see. But uh, yeah, like I'm just hoping. I'm not going to watch this card. I'm going to be 100 and 10 percent honest. It's uh, the 15th. I don't have to work it. I don't intend on watching it. But that doesn't mean uh, fight fans should not sit down and watch to see who moves up. I guess kind of shifts. Maybe a ladder move. Maybe in the light heavyweight division to see where they kind of stand. There isn't anything else that really stands out from this card at all. Uh, Diego Sanchez and um, Jim Miller are both fighting. I wonder, I mean, Diego Sanchez is fighting in the, in the co-main event against Michael Pereja. Uh, Pereja should win that, but we've seen Sanchez pull out other ridiculous shit, so there's no telling how that can go. 
Brock Weaver, who fought on Dana White Contender Series, he's fighting. Tim Means is out there. John Dotson, who I've always watched him fight, he's out there. As I said, Ray Borg is out there. Jim Miller is out there. Ray, uh, I wonder how Ray Borg's son turned out. I remember he was having those health issues. He hasn't fought. Uh, he fought twice last year. So uh, let's see how that goes for him. Then, I mean, there's nothing really on this card worth any attention. Lando Venata is out there fighting Yancey Medeiros. That should be a pretty good one. It's probably should end in violence. Um, I'm still kind of surprised that Lando still has a job within the uh, UFC. He's only one. He came into the UFC in 2016, taking that fight against Tony Ferguson last minute. Then he knocked out John McDessie. And three years would pass before he would actually win another fight. He lost to David Tamer, drew with Bobby Green, and then lost to Drakkar Close, drew with uh, Matt Frevola, and then defeated Marcos Mariano last year. And he lost to Mark Kesey last year as well, too. So the question is, is he fighting for his position on the roster? Probably yes. Yancy Medeiros, uh, is he coming off of a loss as well? Yancy Medeiros is coming off a of two to Donald Cerrone and Gregor Gillespie getting stopped twice in the last two years. So, I mean, this isn't a, this isn't a, this is a co-main event on the card, guys. The co-main event. So let's see kind of how that plays out. But don't be uh, all surprised and excited if this isn't the greatest card of 2019. So I wanted to take some time to talk about what else is going on in the world of combat sports. Uh, it's a couple of news stories came out. The first one is, this is actually a double story kind of story. So, Rafael Lovato Jr., who I am a fan of, he was a Bellator middleweight champion because he defeated Gegard Mousasi towards the end of last year. I think it was like November. Keyword was because he had to vacate the title this week due to a medical condition that will make it him unable to train. And in him being unable to train, clearly he can't fight. So... He has been forced to vacate the title. I think he revealed the news. I saw the clip of him talking about the medical condition that he has. I can't remember the name of it. But basically, he's unable to, to, to train, which, is, which says a lot. I mean, because he was still active in the competitive grappling scene as well, too. So it's kind of, I mean, it's hard seeing him have to walk away. Uh, and what's going to happen instead is that on May 9th, uh, Douglas Lima and Gegard Mousasi are fighting for the middleweight title, at, and they are fighting in the co-main event. I think Ryan Bader is in the main event that day, but Lima is out here looking for a double belt. Uh, remember, what's his name did the same thing. Um, God, what's the guy's name? Roy McDonald did the same thing when he went up against Gegard Mousasi as a welterweight coming up to fight for the middleweight title and got himself smashed. So we have Douglas Lima attempting to do the same. So we have Douglas Lima attempting to do the same thing, and I am not off the top of my head. I don't think it's going to play out well for him. Um, Musashi is a tough out for anybody. You have to be able to grind him out, and I don't know if Lima has the size and the grappling to be able to do that. Musashi's striking is strong. Uh, it's very technical. It's very um, fundamentally based, so it's hard to kind of get him out, out of sorts in a way that Lima will be able to take advantage of. I think this is going to be a slow fight. Um, but I think it's one that uh, Musashi should win. I'm interested in it because I'm a fan of both of these guys. These are two guys who could be ranked in the top five in the UFC easily. 
Uh, I don't know if you saw a, there was a picture that was shared on Instagram this week where uh, Douglas Lima and Kamar Usman were doing a stare down of sorts. I don't know what event they were at together, they happened to be at together, but they were doing a, a stare down of sorts looking at each other. And Lima was the bigger man. Uh, st- he stood taller, he looked thicker. So it was a pretty interesting picture. Interesting fight idea for 170, but we know that that's not going to happen. I wanted to do a segment today with Shawan where we booked our own Bellator versus UFC card. We'll probably do that later or some other time. But this was a it was a pretty interesting idea that was thrown out there. But instead, we're getting Lima versus Musashi on May 5th, to May 9th, and I'm very interested in that fight. So something else that come coming out of the uh, this. The, story about scoring in Texas is that open scoring, that conversation is coming back around again. Invicta is going to have an event coming up where they will implement open scoring. And I think Kansas is a state that said that they're going to begin using open scoring as well. And if you do not know what open scoring is, basically what occurs is at the end of every round. So right now, current state, at the end of every round, uh, the judges turn in their cards um, and they are tabulated at the end of every round. So this doesn't. So I can't go back and change my round one score, for example. And then in this fight, obviously the scores are read for whoever wins. Open scoring is when the scores are tabulated in between every round and then they are relayed to both corners. They're relayed to the announcer. Well, the of the venues I've seen, the announcer reads the scores out loud, and the commentary team also gets the score as well, and they read it obviously to the people who are watching through whatever platform they're watching. This is important because imagine if you're up two rounds to one, and you're like, "Hey, I have five minutes left. I'm winning. I can sit back and I can coast." Imagine if you're down two rounds to one and you want to go out there and you're like, oh my God, I'm losing. I need to go out there and knock this guy out or submit them or take this woman down and and get her out of here. That immediately changes what your game plan is. It does. And it changes it for the negative because it takes you out of your game plan and puts you into a situation where you're fighting in a way that you may or may not be comfortable with. You may or may not have the gas tank to fight in that way. You may, not, you may not have the technical knowledge or the positional knowledge to fight in that way. You're putting yourself in a spot where you can lose based off of what those scores are. And again, you know, there there is con- there's conversations back and forth about this. Again, I always kind of reference Luke Thomas because I follow his content closely. He's basically saying, hey, test it. Whatever your potential solutions are, Test them, test them frequently, test them often, and see what happens. I am a marketer by trade, and I've always been of the oak to test, 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 test. Because uh, obviously with marketing, we gotta figure out what is working, what does not work, and that's the way we go about doing that. Same thing with judging. I believe in New, not New York, New Jersey, they were testing the use of five judges. Obviously, there are three around the ring or the cage, and then two more in the back watching the fight on monitors. I'm not sure whatever came of that. This was, and this may have been like 2010. I think I was still in Philly at at, at that time. But uh, this was a while back. But they were looking at the opportunity of using testing that out. I'm not sure it really ever came from that. But again, as always, it goes back to 
testing and seeing what actually works and what does not work. Um, what other bit of news I'm going to talk? Manny Pacquiao. This jumped out to me too as well. This was the headline. So Manny Pacquiao has joined Paragon Paragon Management. This is the same group that manages Conor McGregor. And, you know, management and combat sports are kind of like shaky to begin with. But this is pretty interesting because Conor has been talking about fighting Manny since the fight with Floyd Mayweather back in 2017, I believe that was, 2018. And, I mean, I don't foresee it happening, but this makes it that much closer to it actually being possible, being able to talk about it, being able to come to the table and actually have that conversation because they're under the same management house. So it will be easier to get a deal done. Do I think it will happen? I hope not, especially not with the fact that he has work he has to do in the octagon first. Um, he's talking about fighting three times this year. He's fought once. He claimed he wanted to fight in March. Um, you know, he claims he wants to fight for the both titles, uh, welterweight and lightweight. I don't really care about all of that. He just has to stay active in my book. And if we get back into that situation where he's out for a year because he's out here lollygagging in the boxing world, making $100 million paydays, I mean, that's great for him. It's great for his family, great for the parties involved from a financial standpoint. But it doesn't move the combat or it doesn't move the MMA space forward anymore than one would think. So I'm really not here for it. I just found it kind of interesting that Pacquiao is um, joining his management team, I think that that's pretty a pretty interesting development there, and we'll kind of see if anything comes from that, but it was a headline that jumped out to me. So with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and go about closing this show. Uh, Shawan was not with us today, but I'm sure he's out there doing his dad due diligence as usual. So my name is rgarcia underscore sports. You can catch me there on Twitter. That's actually not my name. My name is Rafael Garcia, but I just totally blew that spot. However, as I said, you can catch me on Twitter at rgarcia underscore sports. This is the MMA Ratings Podcast, and you can catch this show every Tuesday. We load it up to YouTube on Tuesday evenings, and um, you can catch us on platforms such as Spotify, Anchor, and other spaces. Please be sure to like and subscribe to there to those um, outlets and share whenever you're listening to our showcase. You have Shawan Humes as Black Jordan Breen. On Twitter, you have Adam Martin as MMA, Adam Martin, and you have Michael Ford as MTF the third. Um, we are all on Twitter, all talking about combat sports and everything in between. Me personally, my timeline gets a little bit out of control, mostly because of wrestling, mostly because of other political commentary, and sometimes just because of grade A foolishness. You never know what it may be with me. But if you're interested, please be sure to hit that uh follow button and like and subscribe to all of our content to catch us each and every week with that in mind i'm gonna go ahead and close out thank you everyone for listening to me today or listening to me whenever you get the opportunity to have a great week stay safe valentine's day this weekend don't forget friday do something uh for your significant other but with that in mind i'm gonna go ahead and close out everyone have a great day